are listening to Awaken ADHD, a podcast where people share their ADHD stories, their life before and after diagnosis, their support, strategy, strengths and challenges. Hi, I'm Jade and I'll be your host. I'm a counsellor, an ADHD coach and a fellow ADHDer. So join me as we awaken ADHD. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Boomerang Country and we wish to acknowledge them as the traditional landowners. We recognise First Peoples of Australia as the original storytellers of this country and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'm here with Amber. She is my sister and fellow adhd She's a neurodivergent business owner within the creative industry. She's married with two kids and a stepson and she's also my partner in crime. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. I love that introduction. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, so this is going to be fun because we're pretty used to doing some podcasts together. We are, we are. So this will be fun and playful and we're pretty familiar now talking about your journey. So I guess we'll just kick off with when you first kind of awakened to ADHD within yourself. It was probably a pretty long journey for me. I think it it started maybe five years before actual diagnosis in considering it. My son was diagnosed with ADHD when he was 14. And so like many people who have neurodivergent children, the research process sort of followed me along a path of um, seeking and understanding and and. It took a long time really to join the dots between his diagnosis and uh, my own. So how many years did you say that was five? Yeah, it was about five years. I think I I watched a video, you know, at 2 a.m. when I couldn't sleep. Um, Gee, I wonder why you couldn't sleep. (laughs) And then that sort of planted the seed for his typical or cliche ADHD traits that didn't resonate with me. So I didn't really think that they, I didn't make that connection. But then the more I investigated took a long time really to join the dots. What were some of the things that maybe didn't resonate? Disorganisation or the clutter or the messiness. Uh, as you know, I... <laughs> She's um, giving me eyeballs, so I think I she am, thinks I'm cluttered and messy. I am a bit obsessive about uh, structure and uh, routine. Um, maybe in hindsight that's actually more about just a way of controlling the chaos as opposed to being a natural state. Right, something closer to the perfectionism? or mm, Yeah, like a bordering on obsessive compulsive mm-hmm. um, arrangement. So I think like many people, the, the cliches around ADHD being, you know, disorganised and hyperactive because, you know, I'm a business owner and I've been running a business for 12 years and I've had a career for, you know, 25 years. It's been really successful. I didn't really feel like that was something that was for me. I, didn't, I suppose I didn't really understand what being you know, neurodivergent actually was. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it took a long time. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm just wondering, you know, even before we get to that journey of diagnosis, I wonder what that was like for you given how successful you have been and that you don't fit into the norms. I guess that's why you kind of struggled to really identify it within yourself 
because the the cliche and even how it presented with your son sounds like it was quite different. Yeah, it was, but it it I suppose in my adult self I didn't really identify. But when I think back to my teenage self or my school self, it does make a lot of sense as to some of the struggles I had, which really sort of manifested in, you know, being rebellious and getting lots of detentions and ragging school. Right, okay. So I I might just take us uh, back to the journey of diagnosis and then kind of launch into how it shows up in your life. So what was that journey like for you? Obviously slow, like you said, but when it really kind of clicked for you, that moment? Well, I think when it clicked that I felt quite certain. So obviously I did a lot of online screeners. There's a lot available. Um, And so I had a pretty good idea, but I... The more research I did, the more that I identified that for women the the experience was very different to all boys and boys identify as men. And so I was already seeing a psychologist for stress management and I asked the question to him and and he said, no, you know, he he treats adults with ADHD and he didn't feel like I I fit the criteria, Uh, which was a bit disappointing because we hadn't even done like we hadn't done a screener or anything together um what was that like for you because here you've got you know a trusted professional who's saying that they see people with ADHD and no no that's not you I think I just thought well you're just not the person for me I need to seek elsewhere she's tenacious (laughs) I'm just moving on that's fine that's that's your belief um I mean, I think in reality, he just wasn't asking the right questions. I love that because I could have scared. I mean, that would have scared me off. Yeah. Screw him. <laughs> right. Uh, I haven't been back. Um, no, he was competent. Maybe he just didn't have experience with women with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't fit the mould. and Didn't fit the mould. Might have just seen the mould. Yeah, and I think in that, you know, I haven't gone public, so to speak, with um, the ADHD. <laughs> yeah, now. now. Thank you. <laughs> um, but those that I have told, it's always the same response. Uh, and I think your response was the same also, Jane. Yes, sorry. Um, like, what? That doesn't sound like you. What do you mean? How can you be running a business and, um, you know, making lots of competent adulty decisions and not be a total shit show and so yeah maybe he was just along the same lines mm-hmm. mm. so then you you moved on I moved on swiped I, left I, and I swiped <laughs> left yeah is it left or right the psych, the psych tinder uh, experiment and I really just went into investigation mode and then quickly understood that getting since lockdown seeking uh, support in the state of Victoria is damn near impossible and so there were exceptionally long waiting lists and so I think I called about 18 psychologists or, or emailed and all of them had either their books full or just not taking new patients at all and so or had like year-long wait lists so I found an online service which I was a bit skeptical about uh, no, so I had also spoken to my GP 
um, who was thoroughly unhelpful. Uh, and they just suggested some more yoga and beach walks because I had a busy life. And a planner. Chill out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, get a diary. And, um, and I know I've said this before, but for your audience, this is new, that at one point I thought, like, maybe I'm getting Alzheimer's. And I'm also at, like, perimenopausal or menopausal age as well, so that, you know, you sort of throw all of those hormonal changes in at the same time. But I honestly thought, yeah, I'm losing, I'm losing my memory. I can't seem to recall anything and and everyone just seemed to put it down to sort of stress, which sort of would have made sense, but no one was doing any other inquiry. Mm -hmm. And it felt very significant to you. It sounds like it was quite scary to think, what's happening here? Am I, I can't think clearly, I can't recall things. Yeah, I suppose my, I was just continually waiting to have a nervous breakdown. Right. I was just anticipating that there was only so much stress that I could take and then seeing the more overloaded I became, the more I thought, oh, I'm just, yeah, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I don't even know what a nervous breakdown looks like. but don't I don't even think we use that term anymore, no, but you were going to have one anyway. I was going to have one and that was going to involve moving to a private psychiatric facility where I would be served wine and cheese and meals in a quiet room and I would just have a rest with my iPad. I don't think she's been to many psychiatric no. wards before and as a mental this health practitioner I have. <laughs> breakdown fantasy. Okay. This is lots of You can have wine. Laura Ashley, you know, bedspreads <laughs> and uh, nice little can agree. I think that's where Laura bridges. Ashley bedspreads have gone now actually. Yeah, because yeah, no they're, they're a bit out of place. I don't know why I thought of Laura Ashley. It's really the... <laughs> They're, Maybe, I don't know, they've got florals that remind you of your grandparents and then that feels comforting. Comforting, comforting. Okay. We didn't really have grandparents. All right, I think she's digressing mm. a little bit here. But if we did, they would have had Laura More Ashley, Ashley. Yeah. sheets. Okay, so you got this online uh, psychiatric platform. Yes, and I chose to use the GP service through that platform. So they refer you to a GP. The GP calls you and uh, went through a pretty robust, probably a 50-minute call to understand whether they wanted to give you the referral or felt that it was necessary. And then they referred to a psychiatrist, which was another online service. And then from there, uh, I think it was two two appointments and some online um, forms to fill out. And what was that process like for you? Easy. By that point, I was relieved. Box ticking. Yeah, yeah. box ticking. I mean, it, the most difficult thing was getting so two other people to fill it out because as an adult, it's very hard for them to make an assessment without multiple people's perspective, as you can imagine. Yeah, and from from childhood experience as well. Yeah, from childhood experience, yeah. And it, just recalling the childhood experience is difficult enough. Mm-hmm. There's some things deeply buried. Then we'll just leave them there. (laughs) (laughs) And so what difference has this ADHD diagnosis made in your life? I still think it's an I'm new to the journey Mm -hmm. on this. I mean, there was a bit of sadness and mourning in thinking about some of those difficult times. And now through the lens of understanding why 
I would have responded that way or why I might have felt uncomfortable or overwhelmed. You know, you sort of want to go back and tell yourself, you know, it's okay. So they Mm. sort of that little self-mourning. And a grief process there. Yeah, a grieving process. Grieving for that younger version of yourself and I think at different stages in your life, is it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, What's the question again? (laughs) What difference has the diagnosis made in your life? I think it certainly helped from a relationship and a family perspective to really have someone who, you know, I wouldn't say my husband is deeply immersed in the world of neurodivergence, but, you know, he understands now some of the chaotic behaviours and, and when he might need to sort of say, perhaps you're overscheduling. Have <laughs> you thought about the realistic nature of being able to achieve 25 things on Saturday morning before 12 o'clock? Right. So, so that's can. been helpful. And then also just probably one of the things I've always struggled with is just self-compassion and kindness is that I'm you know, always looking forward. I'm never really acknowledging, you know, successes or things that I've deemed important. And so actually being able to be a bit kinder to myself um, has definitely been one of the positive impacts. How are you kinder to yourself when? No, really, like I haven't seen mm, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting this far. <laughs> Um, no, you are trying. We are I talking. I am trying, yes. I think trying to not schedule, so being conscious that I overschedule things and so trying to undo that or, or even asking, say, my husband to say, what do you think that's, like, is that realistic or is this, or asking him to check things for me, sometimes... I will either do things in haste or I've got so many things on the go, so many tabs open in my head that I can probably rush things that might be important because I want to get them off my plate. So actually asking him to to proof check it or um, sense check it, whereas before I suppose I might have been too proud to say, hey, like, can you can you validate this for me or does this actually make sense? I would have just banged it out and moved on and then um, dealt with the consequences later. Right. So it almost sounds like a a new sense of um, allowing yourself to be vulnerable in a sense to say, (gasps) this is horrendous language, Jade. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. She doesn't do vulnerability. Um, But it sounds like you are. Because in the past, like you said, I wouldn't have asked. I wouldn't have checked. I would have. I had it all in control, and I just did yeah. it. Yes, I think I've got a long way to go, but I'm starting on that journey. And definitely recognizing things that I have difficulty with processing information. For example, even just sitting in finance meetings. For example, I'm getting, I'd say, a bit more confident in saying, "This is how I need the information." me to process it it's not that I intellectually can't process it I just can't process it in the same way that other people do so for example when I see a spreadsheet that's black and white with 50 columns x and y with absolutely no color signifiers or way to navigate I 
like just my brain just says no thank you it's coffee time or it's gin time I'm I'm done here it's just boring it's boring I can't yeah just can't even read the numbers so actually just having the courage to say this is how I need a report or this is how I need a spreadsheet to look in order for me to be able to understand it uh, without being apologetic Right, that's about cultivating your environment for success, isn't it? Yeah, what she said. (laughs) Making those changes so that you can thrive because there are environments that that don't suit us. That don't we don't thrive in. That don't um, that we're not going to succeed in. So once you know, then you can reshape and redesign and be less apologetic about it. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's the, you know, for me it's the the lighting or the external noise or distractions, I can now say that's not working for me rather than just building up a sensory overwhelm or checking out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how else does it show up in your life, past, present, work, relationships, family, friends? Mm-hmm. Choose your own adventure, whichever one you'd like. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely think the understanding that my pace is not everyone else's pace is quite difficult because I do work on supercharge, so I'm either off or on. So I, I have a long way to go to try and get some balance into being more off I'm still more on and I live in this perpetual fantasy that next week is going to be calmer and, <laughs> and clearer in the schedule. Um, but if you keep scheduling, you realise that it won't But if I be, keep scheduling, yeah. Um, so there's that. I, I definitely think there's been a really strong focus on, I suppose, taking care of body through you know, increased exercise and lifestyle and less alcohol. Um, I'm surprised, and I don't say this flippantly, but I am surprised that I've never been addicted to alcohol, like never become an alcoholic because I definitely use it as a crutch when I'm feeling overwhelmed, like a sedation tool. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily to get, like, blind drunk, but to dampen the senses or the um, slow things down, you know, be more mellow, it would be the number one thing I would think of when I get stressed if it's past 12 o'clock yeah. is uh, just just give me a gin tea, like just. And there used to be times in I don't know, maybe my 30s where I would have secretly drunk straight alcohol before a meeting to help like calm the brain down right like a shot of vodka i just need to slow I just down need to, yeah because my like they're so full of adrenaline before a big presentation and that's sometimes that can be nervous adrenaline but sometimes that can always be like excitement but then i end up like talking 100 miles an hour and freaking people out looking right. like a raving lunatic so there's a fine line between someone who feels, you know, who comes across yeah. as passionate, dedicated and confident to, oh, my God, like she's 
spy on men. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's a lot. She needs to be carted out and, you know, she's a lot. And so, you know, even, um, you know, the idea of trying to keep still and not fidget while you're sitting and I, you know, will like now hands under desk, like I'm mm-hmm. twisting on my chair, like mm-hmm. I do have to really be conscious of sitting still and when you're in a meeting that's even more so and so in a public space so trying to be trying to listen and then not fidget um it used to be that I would yeah require some sort of hard liquor to try and calm me down because uh, I guess that speaks to uh, obviously a coping strategy but you know, when I think back and, com- and compare the two of us, we both masked but in different ways. I think I I was still very outwardly fidgety and, and you know, a lot and loud, and yet you were holding and masking a lot of that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that people would have said you were as bouncy. Yeah. And, and well, out I was there. a bit more surly in general. Mm. But you had all that bouncy energy, but you were really restricting yourself. Yes. Yeah. It's like okay. I thought I was too cool. You were too cool to too be cool bouncy. For external energy. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I was a pretty cynical person growing up. And I'm not sure if that's because I felt like I was different and didn't fit in and therefore mildly resentful of the world. Right. You didn't fit in and then maybe a bit resentful. And like I wasn't then, a happy-go-lucky kind of gal. No, and it and it does sound like you were holding a lot. You know, if you're holding that physicality and all of the the thoughts and things that are happening, and and trying to come across as cool and collected, mm. sounds exhausting. It is, yeah. Decades of that. Very exhausting. Decades of that. I mean, you were surprised by my admission of self-diagnosis. I was. I was. I I didn't see it either, but, you know, I, I was uneducated too. I didn't know much about it. And, you know, when you look between the two of us, I was more hot mess, bouncy, mm. loud, and you seemed to have it together and were more controlled. And now I'm hearing that this control was keeping yourself small and contained yes I often describe it as um well there's the you know analogy that you get often in all of the ADHD blogs and and books and you know they talk about the incessant motor that you know just got a motor that just keeps going I suppose for some people that motor could be internal and external manifestation for me it was definitely like an internal that was just like thinking, 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 even when I'm thinking, I'm double thinking or like thinking about five things at once. And so I would just go around this loop of, you know, at work, I might have 10 things to do rather than just starting one thing and finishing it and moving to the next. I'd be doing all 10 at once, but over the course of the whole day. And then, you know, you get distracted in, in between. So my ability to stay on task is really limited and if I think about you know what is 47 years of that that's a that's a pretty tiring Mm -hmm. way to live definitely 
And so how are you relating to your ADHD now? I know it's still an emerging journey for you. Yeah, I'm just looking at it with curiosity. I mean, I, I would like to do and understand more. I've got a notes on my phone that I keep so every time I hear something that's quite interesting. I feel like I just need to prepare a little presentation for myself in PDF that I can, <laughs> this is what it means for me. Um, but I think that, you know, that is a good idea, right, to create create some sort of story if you want to do a, a presentation, that's fine. <laughs> it's got to be pictures, got to have colour. It's got to be sparkly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so you, you're just kind of capturing bits along the way the more you hear of other people's experiences or the more you read. Yeah, I suppose it feels like a really big project. So the reason I say I haven't quite fully digested or um, it doesn't feel resolved is like it just seems like such a big thing that has impact over everything that to delve down that rabbit hole just feels like I don't have sufficient time to do that. So I'm sort of just working with surface um, knowledge but not really, you know, I haven't taken, you know, an ADHD diagnostic holiday, which I feel like could be a good thing to do. You know, maybe I'm just going to keep procrastinating on that until, but I just, you know, I'm just going to work day to day on, you know, the small things and as you would know, uh, I don't have, I literally don't have a lot of time in between mm-hmm. business and family commitments and then trying to cram in well-being. So I'm working towards that's That's the best I can. Radio. So I'm um, conscious. You're conscious. You're aware. Yeah. And maybe I'll get you on a few more times and we'll unpack different elements. Mm. You can be my live coaching client. I mean, one of the things I haven't mentioned but, you know, I've been very conscious or aware of um, the the rise, I suppose, in um, celebrities or well-known people and their diagnoses and in some ways listening to these people, whether it's through podcasts or interviews or articles, it's reassuring because you hear them talking in a way that's exactly how you feel or experience that you haven't heard before. And so I find that reassuring, mm. I suppose. It's like, oh, look, there are other people that are hot messes. Well, that think the way you think yeah. and have experienced life in a, through a similar lens. Mm. And, you know, hearing them describe themselves as, you know, the, the, how they describe life as being off or on or, you know, when they are out and social, they love being social, but then when they come home, like they just want to lie in their bed in the dark room with their phone and just like completely zone out. Mm. And so for me, like if we've got you know, friends or relatives over consecutive days, um, I find that really difficult because I get no downtime to sort of recharge. I need to recharge. I suppose the knowing now means that I can sort of plan that in or excuse myself without sort of thinking, God, I'm just so unsocial or, yeah. Uh, there's that uh, that piece of being kind to yourself. Mm. You're recognizing that that is something that you know you struggle with, or you're going to become overwhelmed with, or it's just too much. And you give yourself permission to do what you need to do. Yeah, just to recharge. Yeah, that's great. Are there any other 
um, strength or struggles that you want to share? Great. I mean, I've been pretty lucky. I mean, I work in the creative industry. There's a lot of neurodivergent people in the creative industry. It's just it's built for creative thinkers across all disciplines. Um, so that sort of makes it easier because I'm not in a, you know, a highly regulated, um, you know, corporate sort of traditional space. So it is a space where there's an expectation of, you know, liberated freedom. So that works for me. Being neurodivergent in that space has actually just, you know, been a gift and that's why so many people who are neurodivergent are attracted to creative industries, whether that's, you know, music or theatre or, or design or fashion. I definitely think my ability to connect dots as a strategist and working in the creative industry is super helpful because I feel like I can see things much faster than other people. It also makes it annoying when things like catch up people come on. <laughs> I've done that three hours ago. I, I saw that coming. Yeah. So, you know, in those ways, um, my risk, you know, I am quite brave in taking big risks and being able to back myself. And that's, you know, definitely a, an ADHD type trait. Thankfully, I've never really taken risks that involve my life, not so much. That was my thing. So you were Although impulsive. I did get into a few cars as like a teenager with adult men driving. That probably was not very safe, but that's another podcast. That's another podcast. Mm. But on the whole, your your risk-taking and impulsive behaviour is, um, is kind of brave in your business and has gotten you places. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, I've been, I would say I have been pretty calculated in the risks it's not just oh this sounds fun it's shiny like I'm just going to jump into that now I am quite considered still but um yeah I suppose just back myself in saying well what's you know when I started my business for example I was a single parent and yes I had money in the bank uh but it was still a big risk going out on your own uh, with no clients and hoping it worked but mm. I just, you know, weighed up what was the worst that was going to happen and, you know, sort of jumped right in. But other people thought I was a bit crazy. Like, why would you do that? Just get a safe job that pays you super and why would you fumble around trying to learn how to do a business? Because I won't get the dopamine hit mm, <laughs> in exactly. a safe. And retrospectively, do you realise that that's, yeah. you know, you were going for that? And it's the same when I work on a big project. I know now, like, I just literally can't stand still. If I'm just working on the same thing day in, day out, like I just check out, brain's gone. I actually need the diversity of problems to solve all the time. Right. And that serves you well most of the time. As long as you got someone. Yeah. And as long as you've got someone to pick up the tail end of the projects that are boring. Yeah, exactly. You've just got to have a whole team of completers. Whole team of I want some team of completers. It's just me. All right. Well, have, is there anything else you would like to share? Not that I can think of. Okay. I think there's a whole host of podcasts that I would like you to, or conversations around ADHD, but I'd love you to join me on down the track. So I would love to have you back. Good. It's been lovely talking to you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Chris. 
Uh, if Hopefully you... that's funny enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, funny enough. It's okay. I'll keep you. So if you would like to share your story on Awaken ADHD, you can visit me on awakenadhd.com.au and I would love to hear your story. Uh, until next time. Adios. Adios. This podcast is not a licensed mental health provider. It represents the personal opinions and experiences of individuals. No content should be taken as professional advice or recommendations.